Welcome to Everything Yesterday This Morning, a 15 to 20 minute daily recap of headlines you may have missed. Come for the news, stay for the snarky commentary. Good morning and happy Monday, you wonderful human beings. I posted some really great deals last night that I think you guys will want to check out on my Twitter timeline. But for today's deal of the day from Palmetto State Armory, may I recommend a lightweight MLOC MOE SBA 3 pistol kit on sale for only $449.99. This is a high quality lower build kit with everything you need to assemble your AR-15 lower into a pistol. Features enhanced polished trigger, Magpul MOE grip, Magpul trigger guard, and black oxide-coated hammer and trigger springs. It also includes an SB Tactical SBA-3 adjustable pistol brace, castle nut, latch plate, carbine buffer spring, five positioning, mil-spec buffer tube, and a standard carbine buffer. 10 out of 10, recommend checking out that deal in the show description. The news cycle was slow this weekend, but I think I've got a decently prepared show for you. Uh, Lots of sports ball dominating my news feed, so digging through to find some good stuff to share with you was a challenge. We're going to start with the fact that it is possible that the story of the pipe bombs at the DNC headquarters during the January 6th debacle is actually a fabricated operation by the FBI. It should have been a national scandal. On January 6, 2021, the day of the Capitol riot, a bomb nearly exploded near the Democratic National Committee headquarters in Washington, D.C., according to the FBI. Had it gone off, it could have killed Vice President Kamala Harris, who drove by the alleged bomb and was in the DNC headquarters when the bomb was discovered. Although these bombs did not detonate, the FBI said earlier this year, it's important to remember the suspect walked along residential and commercial areas in Capitol Hill just blocks from the U.S. Capitol with, quote, viable pipe bombs that could have seriously injured or killed innocent bystanders. Among those innocent bystanders, as I stated, was the vice president of the United States, but the incident never became a national scandal. In an interview with the Los Angeles Times on January 17th of 2021, Kamal Harris never even mentioned the potential assassination attempt. In fact, Harris's near-death experience was unknown until the Department of Justice revealed it in a court filing in November of 2021. The government had previously incorrectly stated that Harris was in the U.S. Capitol, and the U.S. House of Representatives' official January 6th committee investigation's 841-page report only briefly mentions the pipe bombs in an appendix. The pipe bombs, which were initially key to the narrative that the Capitol riot was a premeditated act of domestic terrorism are omitted from the report's detailed analysis and timeline. A video released by Representative Thomas Massey, God bless that man, and first reported on by Revolver News and The Blaze, 
shows that a passerby with a backpack alerted Capitol Police officers sitting in their cars outside of the DNC that there was a pipe bomb nearby. Congressional staffers told Blaze reporter Stephen Baker that a Capitol Police plainclothes officer found the DNC pipe bomb. In the video, Capitol Police do not react with alarm. They let people, including children, just pass through just a few feet from the pipe bomb as though it was not dangerous. The evidence suggests that the Capitol Police officers knew the bomb was not a threat. The FBI appears to have taken the explosives devices seriously. The FBI offered a $500,000 reward for help in finding the person who left the bomb. The FBI's Washington Field Office Director, Stephen Dentono, Dentono, I don't know how to say his name. I never know how to say anybody's name, recorded a video urging the public to support to report suspicious individuals to the FBI. The FBI says its lab determined that the devices, both pipe bombs with 60-minute kitchen timers, were viable. But a National Explosives Task Force quick look report leaked to CBS News suggested that the bombs could not have been detonated remotely from a secondary device like a cell phone. All of it suggests that if they had been set, they were designed to go off on January 5th, said CBS News investigative correspondent Catherine Herridge. This leaked report calls into question the accepted pipe bomb timeline. What's more, Kyle Serafin, who is a former FBI agent who worked on this investigation, said that the explosive devices were inoperable. Technicians from the Joint Program Office for Countering IEDs, Serafin stated, told him the devices lacked the necessary assembly to work. And even D'Antonio, or whatever his name is, admitted to Rep. Thomas Massey, who participated in his questioning before the House Judiciary, that the bombs wouldn't have worked. Massey said, do you think it was technically possible for a kitchen timer? And before he could finish, D'Antonio interrupts him and says, no, no. Massey says, that has a one-hour duration. D'Antonio says, no. He says, to detonate a bomb 17 hours later. And he said, no, I don't. And I saw the same kitchen timer as you. I agree. I don't know when they were supposed to go off. Maybe they weren't supposed to go off. We can't. We don't know. We honestly don't know. FBI agent turned whistleblower Steve Friend told Public, without compromising sources, I've heard there are components of this that are part of the Department of Homeland Security's training for bombs. Garrett Avoyle, another FBI whistleblower who was an assistant weapons of mass destruction coordinator, told Public that the FBI's use of the term viable is suspect. What do they mean by viable? Simply that the components work, like the timer and whatnot? They're very lawyerly with their words, O'Boyle said. In some of their manufactured terrorism cases, they have provided what the subject thought was a viable explosive device, but in actuality wasn't 
since the explosive component is not even built into the bomb. The FBI released CCTV videos and photos of the suspect holding a cell phone and possibly texting. The phone would allow the FBI to find the user based on the time and location. However, the data from the phone company that could have identified the suspected bomber was mysteriously corrupted. There's some data that was corrupted by one of the providers, D'Antonio said. Not purposely by them, right? It just unusual circumstance that we have corrupt data from one of the providers. It wasn't purposely corrupted. I don't want any conspiracy theories. <laughs> the FBI claims the pipe bomb was planted at the DNC on the night of January 5th of 2021, yet Given Harris's presence at the DNC, it is very likely that the Secret Service would have had to conduct a security sweep, possibly with a bomb-sniffing dog, upon her arrival on January 6th, when the bomb was supposedly already on the premises. An independent security analyst who has worked for senior elected officials, including on Capitol Hill, wrote a comprehensive threat analysis of the alleged pipe bombs, Interviewed by Zoom, the expert who asked that their name not be used said, quote, something had to have happened to not have found the bomb, or it wasn't there on the night of the 5th. Had they conducted a regular security sweep, they 100% would have found the bomb. It's in plain sight. You'd have to be blind not to find it. And if you had a dog, give me a break. The expert found it Highly implausible that the Secret Service did not do a sweep. I can't believe the Secret Service would put Vice President someplace and not do a security sweep. It's hard to explain how bad that is. On January 31st of 2022, CNN had reported that a law enforcement source familiar with the event told CNN that the U.S. Secret Service, which was responsible for Harris's protection that day, swept the interior of the building, the driveway, parking deck, and entrances and exits prior to her arrival. The expert said the FBI's behavior was inconsistent with standard security procedures. If it's a true bomb and was planted at the DNC the night of January 5th, the FBI would have had many questions. Was Harris the target of the attack? Why was the pipe bomb not found by Secret Service agents during its sweep? One would think the FBI would want to conduct a full-blown investigation. The FBI didn't even try to find the individual who reported the DNC bomb, even though D'Antonio admitted the person would be a prime suspect. Back to Massey's questioning, he said, but the individual in a hoodie going up to two police cars after he's passed by that bench did your investigation review this video? D'Antonio said, I'm not aware of the video you're talking about, sir. I'm not. Massey said, if you had seen that video, would you be interested in speaking to that person? D'Antonio says, absolutely. And Massey <laughs> says, who seems to have discovered that second bomb? D'Antonio said, in any investigation, whoever discovers the device in the first place, you know, that's just investigation 101. So, but I'm not aware of that video. I'm not aware of that person. Either way, it should have been a scandal. 
There was either a catastrophic security failure that resulted in the near death of the Vice President of the United States, which is scandalous in its own right, and even more so considering that there was no investigation of it, or the bombs were not real or viable. It's one of the two. In that case, the FBI, the Capitol Police, the Secret Service, and senior government officials, including perhaps the vice president herself, have lied to the American people. The Secret Service and Capitol Police did not respond to any request for comment. An FBI spokesperson declined to comment and directed the uh, public to the agency's pipe bomb webpage and most recent statement. Even D'Antonio has admitted that the case is mysterious to him, even though it was his office that investigated the pipe bombs. It's just a lot of coincidences. It happens all the time. There's a lot of unanswered questions, he said. There really are. The question citizens like myself are always left with after revelations of this nature are, what will be done about it? Unfortunately, the answer is always the same, nothing. Not until enough people get angry and demand that the FBI is abolished on the grounds that it is an unconstitutional entity and should have never existed in the first place. In the vein of entities that shouldn't exist, as predicted, the World Health Organization Director General Tedros Gabrizis, I think that's how you say his name, has called on countries to sign on to the pandemic treaty so the world can prepare for disease X. I know I mentioned this on last week's show, but now we have a little clearer picture on what this treaty will entail now that the WEF bullshit is over. Gabrizius, whatever his name is, speaking in front of an audience at the World Economic Forum in Davos on Wednesday said that he hoped countries would reach a pandemic agreement by May to address this common enemy. Disease X is a hypothetical placeholder for the virus that has not yet been formed but scientists say it could be 20 times deadlier than COVID-19. Hasn't been informed yet, you guys, but it could be 20 times deadlier. It was added to the World Health Organization's short list of pathogens for research in 2017 that could cause a serious international epidemic, according to a 2022 WHO press release. Gabrizius said that COVID-19 was the first disease X, but it's important to prepare for another pandemic. There are things that are unknown that may happen, and anything happening is a matter of when, not if, so we need to have a placeholder for that, for the diseases we don't know, Gabrizas said. We lost many people during COVID because we couldn't manage them. Did you hear that? You died because we couldn't control you. They could have been saved, he said, but there was no space. There was not enough oxygen. So how can you have a system that can expand when the need comes? Expand. How can you have a system that can exert more authority when we deem it necessary? He said that a shared response via the treaty would help the world be better react to another outbreak. He said the pandemic agreement 
can bring all the experience, all the challenges that we have faced and all the solutions into one. That agreement can help us prepare for the future in a better way. This is a common global interest and very narrow national interests should not come into the way. You hear that, you pesky Americans? Your liberty is getting in the way of global domination in the name of health. Gabrizas said that independent panels and experts have been working on ways to respond in a collective fashion, and that a deadline for the treaty to be signed is in May. He said that some of the preparedness responses could include an early warning system, organizing supply chains, and advancing research and development to test drugs. Primary health care would also need to be looked at, too, given that wealthy countries did not fare well during COVID since they struggled with basics like contact tracing. It's better to anticipate something that may happen because It has happened in our history many times and prepare for it. We should not face things unprepared. We can prepare for some unknown things as well. Bro, you can prepare all you want. Have your seminars, share your data, expand your research. You will never get blind compliance, especially not now after how much you guys lied. World leaders in March of 2021 to announce a treaty was being negotiated and drafted. The main goal of this treaty would be to foster an all-of-government and all-of-society approach, strengthening national, regional, and global capacities and resilience to future pandemics. That was a statement put out by two dozen heads of state And it reads, this includes greatly enhancing international cooperation to improve, for example, alert systems, data sharing, research in local, regional, and global production and distribution of medical and public health countermeasures, such as vaccines, medicines, diagnostics, and personal protective equipment. The Biden administration was negoting the global nego, negoting, <laughs> negotiating the global pandemic treaty last year. GOP critics, of course, have said that such an agreement would cede sovereignty to the World Health Organization. The WHO pandemic treaty is very vague. It affects our sovereignty and could be exploited to tell Americans what kind of health care they need in the event of a global pandemic. The word treaty is interesting. If we were a country with politicians that recognized the limitations and restrictions provided by the Constitution, everyone would know that treaties require the advice and consent of the Senate, provided that two-thirds of the senators present concur. But we aren't that kind of country anymore. Speaking of how we're not that kind of country anymore, Joe Biden has decided to thumb his nose at the Supreme Court yet again and has added another $5 billion in student debt cancellation for 74,000 people to bring his total to $136 billion. He said, my administration is able to deliver relief to these borrowers and millions more because of fixes we made to broken student loan programs that were preventing borrowers from getting the relief they were entitled to under the law, Biden said in a statement. In total, 3.7 million people have been affected 
by the Biden administration canceling student debt. Republicans have condemned Biden's student debt relief program and vehemently come out against it. Biden is downright desperate to buy votes before the election, so much so that he greenlights the Department of Education to dump even more kerosene on an already raging student debt fire. It would surprise no one if the department relied on infants playing with abacuses to balance its books. It is a complete and utter disaster. I personally predict that within the next three months, you will see Joe Biden do something with regards to declassification of marijuana as a controlled substance or something similar in an effort to buy just a few more votes. Speaking of buying votes, perhaps congressional members are anticipating a need to follow the Joe Biden method because a plan to temporarily expand the child tax credit and revive tax breaks for businesses received overwhelming bipartisan support on Friday in a committee vote. The tax policymakers of the GOP-led U.S. House Committee on Ways and Means voted 40 to 3 to send the Tax Relief for American Families and Workers Act, or H.R. 7024, to the House for a full floor vote. The Biden administration is encouraged and pleased with the committee's vote, White House Press Secretary Corinne Jean-Pierre said Friday. Of course he is. He gets to sign off on a child tax care credit. He'll get full credit for that. The framework, co-led by House Ways and Means Chair Jason Smith of Missouri and Senate Committee on Finance Chair Ron Wyden, who is an Oregon Democrat, includes both parties' priorities to address child poverty and expired Trump-era tax breaks. After four and a half hours of debate and several attempts by Democrats to revive, at least in part, more generous pandemic-era child tax credit benefits, The panel placed its near-unanimous stamp of approval on the major tax deal. After casting her vote, Washington State Democrat Susan Del Bean said the legislation is an imperfect bill in many ways, but that is the reality of a divided government. It nevertheless includes several provisions that I have long advocated for that would help support workers and families and grow our economy. That is why I voted to advance the package but there is still more we can do, she said in a statement. The bill, if eventually enacted into law, would increase the child tax credit incrementally for the taxable years 2023 through 2025 and adjust the credit for inflation. The amounts would increase from $1,800 in 2023 to $1,900 in 2024, and 2000 in 2025. Under current tax law, parents can only receive up to $1,600 back per child. The bill also aims to restore tax credits for low-income housing construction. As for reviving expired business tax incentives, the bill would reinstate full expensing for domestic research and development costs and 100% bonus depreciation for equipment purchases and speed up the time frame during which companies can deduct certain costs. Other incentives include tax relief for victims of qualifying wildfires after 2014 and for those who suffered losses as a result of the February 2023 train derailment in East Palestine, Palestine, Ohio. 
The legislation also aims to establish tax incentives that encourage more business between the United States and Taiwan. Smith said Friday the bill is a product of more than a decade of discussion on how to reform tax code in a way that supports workers, families, and small businesses. The bill before us today represents bipartisan policies that are proven and effective common sense fixes to the tax code that will rebuild our communities, support better jobs and wages, and grow our economy. Many members on both sides of this committee are co-sponsors of the different policies in this legislation, Smith said in his opening remarks. You know, I have an even better common sense fix to the tax code. Eliminate it. Just let us keep our money and we'll figure it out. The three-year deal is expected to be entirely paid for by cutting off a COVID-19 tax break for businesses that retained employees during the pandemic. Governor Ron DeSantis has ended his campaign Sunday after he was unable to convince Republicans to set aside their allegiance to the man who helped his own political career. DeSantis's run came to a halt following a dispiriting second-place finish in Iowa, a state where he and his allies poured millions into an aggressive get-out-the-vote effort that featured the governor visiting all 99 counties. He spent week after week in the state, instead of establishing a presence in other early voting states like New Hampshire and South Carolina. DeSantis had initially been considered a formidable challenger to former President Donald Trump, but DeSantis was unable... I cannot talk tonight, you guys. DeSantis was unable to gain traction in the primary, with Trump instead steadily consolidating support and rising in the polls prior to a dominant win in Iowa. On Sunday, DeSantis also endorsed the former president. He said, Trump has my endorsement because we cannot go back to the old Republican guard of yesteryear, a repackaged form of warmed-over corporatism that Nikki Haley represents. Shortly after DeSantis bowed out, Trump's campaign released a statement saying it was honored by the governor's endorsement. Haley, addressing supporters at a stop in New Hampshire's seacoast, said, I want to say to Ron he ran a great race. He's been a good governor, and we wish him well. Having said that, it's now one fella and one lady left. Nope. You're not a lady. You're a warmongering corporatist. You're Hillary Clinton with brown hair. DeSantis on Saturday night was supposed to fly from South Carolina to New Hampshire to hold an event the following day, but instead decided to fly home to Tallahassee to huddle with a tight-knit circle of senior advisors and his family. He finalized his decision early Sunday afternoon. Senior DeSantis advisors wanted to give staff and top donors a heads up of the governor's decision, hoping to avoid what transpired in South Carolina when Senator Tim Scott's campaign, uh, some aides learned that he was dropping out from an interview that he was giving on Fox News. At around 2 p.m. on Sunday, DeSantis fundraisers received a message from Lauren Lofstrom the governor's finance director, informing them of the decision, according to two people familiar with the discussions. By Thursday, he was thinking seriously about exiting the contest, even though he was encouraged by the reception he was receiving in South Carolina. 
As the governor and his inner circle talked over his options, they concluded there simply is not a path forward. Trump's margin of victory in Iowa had been significant and had helped the former president consolidate the support of the party. Among those who were advocating for DeSantis to drop out shortly after Iowa was Texas Rep. Chip Roy. The decision by Santis to formally end his campaign will immediately lead to speculation about his future. DeSantis is 45. He's repeatedly ruled out serving as a running mate for either Trump or Haley and has said he would rather return to Florida, finish his term as governor for the remaining two years. DeSantis is in his second stint and will be term limited from running again in 2026. We are closing out the show tonight with us, or this morning, I guess I should say. I'm recording tonight. You're listening in the morning. Uh, This sounds like it's right out of Greenway Press Conference Room. You know, the scene in the movie Elf where Walter Hobbs has his writers in his office and he says, my two top writers, my crack team, my fun squad, you come in here pitching me the idea of hiring another writer? Well, some of the greatest minds in the world at NASA have been struggling for nearly a year with a canister containing samples of a 4.6 billion year old asteroid. After months of tinkering, though, they found their Miles Finch and scientists at NASA's Johnson Space Center in Houston finally dislodged two stuck fasteners that had kept the pieces of the asteroid Bennu out of researchers' hands. Scientists had to switch course on the canister opening effort in mid-October after it became clear that none of the items in NASA's box of approved tools could open the last two of the 35 fasteners that were sealing the container. To prevent the sample from being contaminated by Earth's air, it has been stored in a clean room in the Houston facility where hazmat-suited curators delicately dismantled the canister. The team custom-designed new tools to pry open the final two latches. The agency will now finish extracting the approximately 9-ounce sample, which will be weighed and chemically analyzed, much of the payload from OSIRIS-REx, which is an acronym for Origin Special. Spectral Interpretation Resource Identification and Security Regolith Explorer will then be frozen and carefully preserved so that future generations of scientists will be able to study it with advanced technologies. It took more than seven years and roughly $1 billion to bring back a sample from Bennu, a space rock formed during the earliest days of the solar system. The asteroid samples recovered on Earth have essentially been cooked by their searing journey through the atmosphere, which limits what scientists can learn from them. The spacecraft that collected the sample in 2020 and released it toward Earth is now heading to its next mission, the craft now named Osiris Apophis Explorer, or Osiris Apex, is on its way to a peanut-shaped asteroid named Apophis. For short but alarming time, astronomers thought Apophis might be on track to smash into Earth. Now that the worryingly po- worrying possibility has been ruled out, scientists are eager, eagerly looking ahead to 2029 when the asteroid will pass closer to Earth 
than any object of its size ever has. It's something that almost never happens, and yet we get to witness it in our lifetime. We usually send spacecraft out there to visit asteroids and find out about them. In this case, it's nature doing the flyby for us. That is your Monday edition of everything yesterday, this morning. I hope you guys had a great weekend. Looking forward to being back. I hope you have a great week. If you like today's show, be sure to subscribe and turn on notifications so you never miss an episode. Also, please don't forget to check out shouseinthehouse.com and never forget that free men do not need permission from any government. Have a great day.